Look for the union label When you are buying a coat dress for balls Remember somewhere Welcome to Rapidly Rotating Records, an hour of toe-tapping music from rapidly rotating 78 RPM records of the 1920s and 30s, with yours truly, Glenn Robison, on Island Radio, KISL Avalon, at 88.7 on your FM dial, and anywhere on the planet at KISLAvalon.com on your internet dial. We've got dance bands, hot bands, sweet bands, show tunes, novelty tunes, blues, jazz, and more on everything from Aeolian to Xenophone and by everyone from Aronson to Zerky. On this week's show, we'll celebrate Harry Bidgood's birthday, ask some pointed questions, play some records having to do with labor, and play One Thing thing in in Common. Back on the August 7th show, I played a record by Primo Scala and his accordion band, and mentioned that Primo Scala was in fact a pseudonym for British band leader Harry Bidgood. So where did the name Primo Scala come from? Well, from the names of Primo Carnera, an Italian heavyweight boxer, and Emilio Scala, an ice cream seller who won about 100,000 pounds in the 1931 Irish sweepstake. Anyway, last week, August 29th, marked the birth in 1898 in West Ham, London, England, of Henry James Bidgood. To Thomas Bidgood, a musician best known as the composer of the March Sons of the Brave, and Rosetta Ann Castleton. Harry first received musical training from his father, but continued his musical education at the East London College of Music. He was a talented pianist and made his professional debut at age 12 in the Canterbury Music Hall. He served in World War I in France as a drummer in the Somerset Light Infantry Regimental Band and was awarded the Victory Medal and British War Medal. On September 28, 1921, Edna Mary Woods became Mrs. Harry Bidgood, and they had three sons. From 1925 until 1932, Bidgood was director of light music, for the Vocalion Gramophone Company, where he supervised recordings by various bands, but also of his own studio bands. Primo Scala was but one of his professional identities, others being Al Benny's Broadway Boys, the Harvard Dance Club Aces, the Broadcast Talkie Boys, and Carlos Santana. Harry Bidgood recorded at least 450 sides, 
but was also a composer and arranger and musical director for a number of films in the 1940s starring George Formby and Vera Lynn. He died November 15, 1957, in London of stomach cancer. Here are three from Harry Bidgood. Thank you. 
Looking at the title on this record, I thought perhaps Himazaz was some little-known exotic locale or a fictitious place somewhere in the Himalayas, but it turns out Himazaz is just the pub next door, which makes it convenient for going back to. Ramon Newton was the vocalist with Harry Bidgood and his broadcasters on Broadcast 78, number 182, recorded November 30, 1928. I'm Going Back to Himazaz was written by Fred Austin. He made a couple of sides as a vocalist with DeBroy Summers, but I couldn't find anything else he wrote. Before going back to Himazaz, some advice from John Thorne. If you're down and blue, just mock the Mockingbird's song. I'd actually recommend against it, because Mockingbirds just hate when they're mocked. Mort Dixon and Sam H. Stepped wrote Mock the Mockingbird, and Harry Bidgood's orchestra recorded it in December of 1926, issued on ACO 78G16139. We started off with another ACO disc, number G16101, Every Little Maid, introducing Everybody Loves a Lover, written by Arthur Wimperis and Russell Bennett recorded by Harry Bidgood's Orchestra around October 18, 1926. I'm Glenn Robison, and you and I are listening to Rapidly Rotating Records, bringing you vintage music to which you can't not tap your toes from rapidly rotating 78 RPM records of the 1920s and 30s. It's time once again for that feature of the program we call One Thing, One in, thing common. in Common. common, common, common. You know, that's where we play a set of rapidly rotating records which seemingly have nothing whatsoever to do with each other, yet have one thing, one in, thing common. in common. Don't expend a lot of energy trying to figure it out. Just enjoy the music, and I'll fill you in on the other side. Come on, get it, don't have to stay. Don't find them like this in every day. It's funny and thing. Ah, it's funny and thing. Ah, everybody get it, they tell me it's funny and thing. It'll make you sigh, make you cry, you may get sick, but you won't die. It's funny and thing. Ah, it's funny and thing. Ah, everybody get it, they tell me it's funny and thing. She's knocking on my door for my wife Get away, oh, it's funny little thing Ah, oh, it's funny little thing Ah, oh, everybody get it They tell me it's good little thing It ain't no liquid, just a little oil It's a doctor used for broke down nerves It's funny little thing Ah, oh, it's funny little thing Ah, oh, everybody get it They tell me it's good little thing You don't have to hurry, you don't have to go, but to get a little bit, you'll want some more of this funny little thing. Ah, funny little thing. 
written in 1927 by William Tracy with the music by Dan Dougherty, and it was recorded that year by vocalists J. Donald Parker, Irving Kaufman, John Ryan and Arthur Hall, Frankie Masters, Ben Selvin, and Sager Ellis. But we just heard the only recording by a woman, Kitty O'Connor, accompanied by violinist Fred Landau, cellist Lucien Schmidt, and pianist Frank E. Banta, from Columbia 1174D, made September 9th. This is Kitty O'Connor's first appearance on the show. She was known as the Girl Baritone, and it's not as evident on this record, but you'll hear better examples of why she was given that nickname when she gets her own segment. Before Kitty O'Connor, we heard Bessie Smith with her composition, Soft Pedal Blues, recorded May 14, 1925, issued on Columbia 14075D. Accompanying Bessie were Fred Longshaw on piano and trombonist Charlie Green. Barbecue Bob started the segment with It's a Funny Little Thing, recorded in Atlanta, Georgia, on April 19, 1929. Both takes one and two were issued on Columbia 14436D. So, what do those three records have in common? Well, you may recall that over the past few weeks we've had segment topics about pedaling bicycles, 
Funny Little Tunes, and Walking on Things. And those records were all in the playlist for those segments, but had to be postponed because I ran out of time. KISL is a listener-supported radio station and is made possible by your financial support. You can help keep Island Radio on the air and on the Internet by making a donation on our support page, kislavalon.com support. Many companies will match your membership donation, doubling or even tripling your gift, and KISL is now part of Double the Donation where you can search for any of the more than 24,000 companies, brands, and subsidiaries that may match your donation. And there are several other ways you can contribute, some of which don't even involve giving cash directly. Remember, the Catalina Island Performing Arts Foundation is a 501c3 nonprofit organization, so your gift may be tax-deductible. And KISL is entirely volunteer-operated. Check out all the ways you can help support Island Radio at KISLAvalon.com support. And I thank you for your very kind attention. Back on the June 19th show, I played Swanee Shore, written by Charles A. Bourne, and mentioned that he wrote at least one other tune. And here it is. one big thrill I want to be loved until I'm willing to say I will why can't you love that way somebody must guarantee to dive in that deep blue sea or jump off a bridge for me why can't you love that way I'm getting tired of holding hands down by the village pump I need excitement my heart demands something to make it bumpity bump i heard of a perfect gent who gave his girl his last cent he's sleeping now in a tent why can't you love that way Thank you. 
you smile, why can't you be happy? Fred Rich and his orchestra, and Why Can't You? With the alternate title, Birdies Sing in Cages Too. That was the Rollickers Quartet singing the Buddy DeSilva and Lou Brown lyrics on Columbia 1878D, April 12, 1929. Ray Henderson wrote the music, and it was a very popular tune with at least a dozen other recordings that year, because it was heard in the Al Jolson picture, Say It With Song. And whether or not he had anything to do with it, Al managed to get himself composer credit as well. We started off with Why Can't You Love That Way, co-composed by Charles A. Bourne and Jack Val. Dick Robertson sang the Henry Creamer lyrics on that September 1929 recording, issued on Brunswick 4551. 
I'm Glenn Robison, and the show is Rapidly Rotating Records. We're here each and every Sunday evening at 6 on Island Radio, FM 88.7, KISL Avalon, and KISLAvalon.com. In the last segment, we asked, why can't you? So, for this segment, if in fact you can't, then what? Thank you. 
Yeah. <laughs> 
to rapidly rotating records, many of you out there also listen to my friend Brian Wright's podcast, The Shellac Stack. And if so, that song might sound a bit familiar because Brian played it on a recent show. But he played the Six Jumping Jacks version with the vocal by Tom Stacks. Fortunately, before I heard Brian's show, I had already set the playlist for this show to include Cliff Edwards and his version of If You Can't Lander on the Old Veranda. It was recorded September 20th, 1926, about six weeks before the Jumping Jacks version. If You Can't Lander on the Old Veranda was written by Charlie Tobias with the music by Abner Silver. Before Cliff Edwards, classic blues singer Martha Copeland with Papa, If You Can't Do Better, I'll Let a Better Papa Move In. From Columbia 14161, September 14th, 1926. In the second segment, you heard Fred Longshaw accompany Bessie Smith on Soft Pedal Blues, but Papa, If You Can't Do Better was written by Stanley Miller and Frank Longshaw. Well, what do you know about that? I know. And speaking of Harry Reeser's Six Jumping Jacks, we started the segment with their June 3, 1931 recording of If You Can't Sing, Whistle. It was issued here on Brunswick 6137, but also in the UK, Australia, and Germany. If You Can't Sing, Whistle was written by Tom Blight and Jack Hart. The Rapidly Rotating Records request line is now open. In addition to cards or letters, email or posts to our Facebook page or website, you can also now call to make requests for a particular song, artist, or segment topic, leave feedback about the show, ask questions or comment on the music, or just to say hi to let me know you're out there listening. The number is easy to remember. It's 1-234-PLAY-78s. That's 1-234-PLAY-78s. Or for the alphabetically challenged... 1-234-752-9787. It's available 24-7, but right before, during, and just after the Sunday night broadcast on KISL, I'll do my best to personally answer your call. That's 1-234-PLAY-78s. Tomorrow is, of course, Labor Day here in the U.S., celebrating the contributions and achievements of the 155 million men and women of the American workforce. Labor Day was founded in 1882 by a man named McGuire, but it's not quite clear whether it was Peter J. McGuire, M-C-G-U-I-R-E, General Secretary of the Brotherhood of Carpenters and Joiners and a co-founder of the American Federation of Labor, or Matthew McGuire, M-A-G-U-I-R-E, Secretary of the Central Labor Union in New York. 
it doesn't really matter. The first Labor Day was celebrated on Tuesday, September 5, 1882, planned by the Central Labor Union. About 10,000 workers took unpaid leave and marched in a parade from City Hall to Wendell's Elm Park at 92nd Street and 9th Avenue for speeches, a concert, and a picnic. Oregon was the first state to declare Labor Day an official holiday in 1887, and on June 28, 1894, Congress passed an act making the first Monday in September of each year a national holiday. I put myself through college as a union grocery clerk, but left that industry in the 1970s. Nonetheless, I am a proud retired member of the United Food and Commercial Workers Union, and get a pension check every month, by the way. So here's a set of rapidly rotating records having to do with labor. Ladies and gentlemen, I accepted this invitation before the Denver Convention. I desired to celebrate Labor Day somewhere. I knew of no better place in this country or in any other country. I appreciate the opportunity that has been given me to join in the celebration of this day here and to review this magnificent parade. I believe in the observance of Labor Day. I believe in it because I think we ought all to strive to dignify in every possible way the honest toil upon which our nation's prosperity rests. In this country, more than in any other, the laborer's position is respected and honored. But even in this country, we find lingering evidences of the aristocratic idea that prevails in other lands. And I trust that besides giving to the whole country some object lessons as the number of those who are called wage earners, Labor Day will help to cultivate a healthy public opinion that will at last put the badge of disgrace not upon the man who with brains and muscle contributes to his nation's wealth, but upon the man anywhere and everywhere who is willing to spend in idleness the money that someone else has made. <laughs> Public interest in labor organization is increased by the fact that labor organization helps those who do not belong to it as well as those who do belong to it. And it helps those who do not belong to it whether it is anxious to do so or not. Some of our great industries can monopolize the benefits of their organization, but no organization that has for its object the improvement of those conditions under which men labor can monopolize the benefits of the organization. For every improvement in the hours of labor, in the terms of labor, in the wages of labor, or in the conditions under which the laboring man works, ultimately reaches unorganized as well as organized labor. I am glad to be here, the guest of organized labor, because I want to pay due tribute to those who organize and by bearing the burden, help to better the conditions of those who toil.
seems a nice way to end the show, don't you think? Eric Francis Harrison Coates was an English violist and composer of light music. He was born August 27, 1886, and has been mentioned only once on the show, all the way back in 2002, when we played his tune, Knightsbridge March. But he may just be getting a belated birthday segment next week. To wrap up this Labor Day segment, we heard Coates's composition, Calling All Workers. That was Eric Coates himself conducting an unidentified symphony orchestra on his 54th birthday from British Columbia 78, number DB1945. Before that, Sousa's Band, conducted by Josef Pasternak, July 20th, 1922, and Keeping Step with the Union. Okay, so it's referring not to a labor union, but to the North in the Civil War. But I'd not heard it before, that I recall. And in any case, it would make a nice tune for a Labor Day parade, so there you are. That was take three of five, issued on Victor 18929. On September 7, 1908, William Jennings Bryan, making his third run for President of the United States, delivered a Labor Day speech to tens of thousands of people in Chicago for a gathering of the American Federation of Labor. We started this Labor Day segment with that speech. Clearly not by Mr. Bryan himself, but a reenactment by an unidentified speaker on a single-sided Busy B-78, number A-157. A sticker on the back of the record says it was recorded by Arthur J. O'Neill, but approved and sanctioned by Mr. Bryan himself. Arthur J. O'Neill was a traveling salesman who, along with Winifred B. James and Sherwin Bisbee, manufactured phonographs and records under the Busy Bee label. Get it? Bisbee? Busy Bee? Isn't that clever? <laughs> I know. I wish I could go into the intricate details of Mr. O'Neill and Busy Bee, but I have only time enough to remind you that I'm Glenn Robison, and I'm very pleased that you've chosen to spend this past hour with me listening to Rapidly Rotating Records. I hope you have a very pleasant Labor Day holiday and that you'll click in or tune in again next week. And of course, as always, I thank you for your very kind attention. (laughs) 